I am going to continue on um, what we just sang about in this in this message. Um, and I trust that um, it would touch our hearts, bless us, realign us. And I really trust that the Holy Spirit would speak through me. It's my greatest desire and greatest joy when that happens. If you would think of the year 2023, and if you would have to answer this question from your heart, not the Sunday school answer, because each church only starts next week, but the, the answer from the heart right now. If you think of all the things that you've set out to do, your New Year's resolutions, your greatest priorities, all those things, honestly don't try to give the right answer because I know that many of you know exactly um, what to say. But just in your heart, what's your greatest priority? In your heart, what is the one thing that's necessary for 2023? Just, just engage your heart for a minute. Just Close your eyes, just engage your heart with what's real in your heart right now. If you think of what is that one thing that's really necessary in 2023. And then take that one thing, whether it's a good and noble thing, whether you realize it's a, um, maybe not that worthy of a thing, or if you're unsure... Um, as to whether it's really noble or not, just take that thing and just give it to God, just as it is. Just say, God, here is that thing that's so important in my heart. I, I give it back to you. Because you see, if it is from God, like Isaac, we should give it back to God before it can be what it really should be and continually yield it. And if it's not from God, we should also, also give it up. So we should always be free from the things that we have, the Isaacs that he has given us. Um, they can become unnecessary burdens and idols as well. And the things that we should obviously let go of. Because often we start the year out and we really want to work hard for a, a promotion or pass our board exams or get married or get fit or lose weight. Um, I'm currently the heaviest that I've ever been in my life. As of yesterday morning, I think I'm the heaviest that I've ever, ever, ever been. Um, but I can't make that my greatest resolution. But so often in... In moments we just do. In moments we just say, oh, man, this year I'm just going to pass those exams. That's what I'm going to set out to do and I'm just going to do that. Let's hand those things to him and let's, let's align our hearts to what I believe and what is clear for me from Scripture that God wants us to align our hearts to as to what is that one thing that is really necessary. And I'm going to read for us from Luke. Luke 10, verse 38 
Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So I, w- I want to give you context of this, of this scripture in Luke, in Luke 10. Just before this, at the beginning of Luke 10, the disciples are sent out on a mission. Their first mission. And they, for the first time, see miracles happening at their hands. They raise the dead, cast out demons, heal the sick, and they come back to Jesus. Very excited, overwhelmed with excitement. And part of Jesus' response to them in verse 23 and 24, he, he says, listen, blessed are you for what you're seeing. And what you're hearing. Because the things that you are seeing and hearing is things that the prophets and the kings of old have longed to see and to hear. You're living in an age where you're seeing the kingdom of God manifest. And I'm teaching you the essence of what it is. Blessed are you for this. And in their excitement for what they've just seen, I believe straight from that, Jesus continues with that excitement that you have when you come from a mission where you've seen a lot of miracles. And then he teaches them a few things. The things that follow just after that. He just said, you're so blessed for what you see and what you hear. And now they're going to hear a few things that he's going to teach them. Things that the prophets and the kings have longed for. He's now teaching them. And there's three very specific things that he teaches there. Back to back. And we're going to look at one of them today that's found in this specific story the the first thing that he teaches them right there is the parable of the of the good samaritan where he says love your neighbor that's the first and great teaching that he gives right there in their excitement when he knows they're most susceptible to what he wants to say right now he teaches them to love your neighbor number one number two he he teaches them what he's what he's teaching them through this story of Martha and Mary. That's the next thing in Luke 10. And then right at the beginning of Luke 11, the next thing is when Jesus teaches them how to pray. And it's the Lord's Prayer. And I believe this is very significant, those three things that he's teaching them right there. And we're going to look into one of them. So I'm just positioning the specific text for you in looking at it as the things that the kings and the prophets of old have longed to look into that the disciple that was revealed to the disciples and is now being revealed to us now just imagine jesus the son of god walks into your village and into your house and is coming to visit you what would your response be
you would make coffee or tea or whatever you want as quick as you can. You would say, Leafy, where can we get red velvet cake as soon as we can? What can we do? Jesus is here, <laughs> right? What do you do? Jesus is here. And so when Jesus comes into this house, Martha standing right at the door. She's welcoming Jesus into her house. Isn't that amazing? Martha, who later in this scripture, you would know Jesus has a few things to, to teach her. And we often want to make her off Martha, Martha. But we're all pretty much like Martha. And there's not too much wrong with Martha, I can tell you that much. Martha is as we are welcoming Jesus into our house. We're excited for the fact that the King is coming into our lives, into our hearts. Martha's welcoming Him in. Martha, we know from the story from Lazarus, his uh, brother, when he died and Jesus was late and they came, Martha ran to him and said, Lord, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. She had faith in who he was. She welcomed him into her house. She was a woman of faith and she served Jesus. She was a woman that served Jesus. Now, isn't that amazing? A woman with faith in Christ and service to Christ. But then, there's something that we should see. She had this little sister. I'm not sure if she was younger, but one almost, almost thinks that. Um, she had a sister who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And then it said, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And the first thing we see about Martha here is that her serving Christ distracts her from Christ. Her noble, honorable serving Christ actually distracts her from Christ. Let us not do that. Let us look into our hearts and say, like, because so often we want to we get back on the right road with God and jump in and serve and feel great. And that is good. We're called to do that, but not at the expense of His presence that we pursue, first of all. So Martha, first, she gets distracted with much serving. And we tend to do that. Most often for the reason of not really understanding the cross of Christ as our justification, but wanting to add some of it ourselves. Wanting to say, well, I did my part as well. I did, I'm good enough so that this Christ would be pleased with me. And Martha, having this mindset, she even went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? That my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. So Martha is a, is a typical case, as often happens in my heart and our hearts, of what we would call self-righteousness. I'm right with God because of what I do and I know what I do is right. The fruit of self-righteousness evidently here, firstly, she's not with God. Are you with me? 
She's serving him, but not with him. She's distracted. She's not with him. Secondly, somehow, for some reason, she maybe doesn't feel like she can be with him. She feels excluded. Now, why do I say that? Because women in those days were not allowed to be disciples. And the word sitting at the feet, maybe it meant it literally, but it definitely was the word used to say, I am learning from my master. I'm being discipled by a rabbi. Apostle Paul said, I learned at the feet of Gamaliel. So, sitting at the feet of someone being positioned as a disciple that Jesus welcomed. Women wasn't welcome there. So somehow, Martha didn't feel welcome. Jesus welcomed the woman in as disciples. And that was revolutionary in that age. And isn't that amazing? So I want to tell you that when you don't feel welcome, for whatever reason that might be, of course that's a lie. And of course, whatever you would do, whatever serving you would want to do to Christ or his body or whatever, would be in vain to get you included. But to run to him with your heart and to sit at his feet includes you because you are included in his heart and through his blood reconciled to him. You're included. So don't try to be included. And then what what self-righteousness does, this is what I wanted to get to, then the fruit of this thing that actually comes from a place of hurt, right? I feel excluded. I'm not sure if I belong, but I'm going to give it my all and maybe I'd be okay. The fruit of this is not very nice. The fruit of this comes out in the following way. The first thing is (laughs) she goes to God and accuses God. Now, the one that works so hard for God, but things don't really go their way, well, they're not really helped to do this alone. I'm the only guy on projected team for three months. Okay? Don't you care, God, that I'm doing this alone? And do you see how great a man I am? I'm almost done being a great man, but the first thing is, you, or one of the things is you actually accuse God. Lord, do you not care? Number one. That's a fruit. How we can recognize this in our hearts. The second thing how, what we can recognize in our hearts is called self-pity. Left me alone to serve. I've been left alone to serve. I'm the only one caring. Like Elijah when he told God, I'm the only one left, God. He said, no, Elijah, you're not the only one left. Just get over yourself. Okay? You're not the only Christian in Cape Town. Look around you. I mean, there's a few more. But then the second thing that helps, and it's a, it's a demonic thing, this self-pity. It gets us weeping on our beds rather than crying out to God, and it's a fruit of the self-righteous serving. And the last thing that we sometimes do then is we give God commands. Tell her then to help me. Because I have a right to tell you what to do because I work really hard for you. Right? Just let it go. Just let this go of your shoulders. This Martha. Martha is, you know, 
She welcomes him into her house. She's got faith that he's the Christ and could do miracles, and she serves him, yet she is distracted from his presence. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Now, anxiety is a sin that keeps us from God and grows more when we are not with God. If you say, oh, how can you say anxiety is a sin? I feel like a victim to anxiety. I did a sermon on that about two years ago that you can go and listen to to understand that understanding that anxiety is a sin actually sets you free to overcome it. Because you have the power to be forgiven and overcome it. But if you're a victim to it, then you'll just always have it, right? So Martha is anxious and troubled about many things. But then Jesus said, says these words. And a few years ago when I read this portion that I know so well, and I'm sure most of you know this very well, Martha, Martha, Right? It was like, this has never been in here before. Have you ever read the word? And then you go like, this was never in here before. But somehow, maybe God adds things as it goes. And then he adds them to every Bible. And then, and it says, but one thing is necessary. So in a way, he's saying, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. So you might make a uh, you use somewhat bad hermeneutic and say, well, if there's one thing to be anxious about that's worthy of being anxious, it is to be anxious about when and how and what you're gonna sit, how are you gonna sit, and when you're gonna sit at God's feet. That would be the one thing that's necessary to be anxious about. Even even saying that, the scripture said, be anxious for nothing. So I would discount that as well and say there is nothing to be anxious for. If there would be one, it would be this. Other translations says, it doesn't say one thing is necessary. It says a few things are, ne- are needed or indeed only one. Ma- Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken Away from her. So Jesus in a long way is answering Martha and saying, no Martha, I'm not going to ask her to help you. Because she's with me. And that's where she needs to be. And that's the only thing, the one thing that's necessary for everything. So if you're asking yourself what is necessary for this year, if I'm asking myself And I am fully convicted by this as well. Is this ringing in my heart as that one thing? Jesus' invitation to be with him. Jesus is saying to Martha, I I will not send Mary to... To do what tradition or custom or religion or the needs of others is asking. I will not send it to do that. I have it with me. Is that the one thing that's necessary in our hearts? And you know, in this story, Jesus is very, very, with a very simple story. He's actually refuting all the arguments that wants to say that there are things that are sometimes more important and urgent than spending time with him. He's refuting all of them because what can be more important and urgent than to serve 
God, right? Let's say of all the things on earth, if to serve, to serve God and to do whatever God wants you to do is definitely more important than anything that isn't part of serving God, right? So if that then, if Jesus says, well, there's something more important than even serving God and it's being with me relationally, then there cannot be anything that could ever, that we could ever argue to be more important or urgent than to be with him, to sit with him. But I can't because I have a deadline. But I can't because I have kids. But I, I can't because I, I'm studying and working. And this is not, and right here, a f- few of you that, that, that are uh, maybe inclined to not firstly running to the grace of God, but firstly wanting to get things right on your own. Quite a few of you is going like, oh yeah, just, I'm not good enough. Now you're going to tell me again that I'm not good enough. I don't want you to go there now. This is an invitation from God as to the only way to live the life that he's called you to live. And may I add, the, the desire that you might feel, and this is, I'm saying this outside of the perimeters of this specific sermon, but the desire you might feel in your spirit towards anything like this, if you, if you experience a conviction to want to do something or change something, let's look at it step one, two, three. Step one is you receive a conviction and desire in your spirit to want to change or do something, Step two is very important, and we, we get it wrong. Step two, usually we say, I'm going to do it. God help me. Step three is we go out and we try. And what happens then? We fail, we lose a bit of courage. We fail, we lose more courage. We fail, we try a different strategy. We fail, and then we end up back in the drawing board. If we could take step one, the desire for, that we have for spiritual things, and we could go to step two in the humility that Christ himself had and understand we are creatures and sinners before him and smile and say, oh God, I can't, but you can. Let's go. Then you also go to step three and you try it. But it's completely different, even though it looks exactly the same. All right? One of the most important things you have to take a hold of in your life and in your heart is to smile and say, God, I can't, but you can. Let's go. Are you with me? It's different from your New Year's resolutions. Who knows that New Year's resolutions almost always fail? Because that's exactly what we do. This year I will. Oh, and God forbid we actually fulfill our New Year's resolution. Because we'd let everyone know how amazing we are. And who gets the glory. So anyway, I believe that, God, that Jesus is here in a beautiful way refuting any argument that says, Hey, there's nothing more important than to be with me, to sit 
at my feet and to listen to my word. If you, if if you are, if you're doubting my hermeneutic and thinking maybe you're not understanding that little portion that says one thing is necessary correctly and maybe it refers to something else, it def- it can't be that Jesus said one thing is necessary. It can't be that then maybe it helps if we go to a greater theologian than I, Charles Spurgeon, who said, the one thing needful, evidently, he's commenting on the specific text, the one on this, on this text, the one thing needful, evidently, is that which Mary chose, that good part that should not be taken away from her. Very clearly, this was to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his word. Charles Spurgeon agrees that this is it. Someone else that agrees that this is it is King David in Psalm 27 verse 4. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all my life and gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Now back then, this is not speaking about Church, we like to use it and refer to church. That where the presence of God dwelt in those days was in his temple, right? So if you want to engage the presence of God, it dwelt in his, in his temple. But now he has come and made his dwelling inside of us. We have become temples of the Holy Spirit. So his presence dwells with us. So if we would say this, we'd say, oh God, one thing I ask of you this alone do i seek that i may abide in you be with you all the days of my life one thing the same language right the same language this one thing that just drives the heart of king david and also obviously the apostle apostle paul in philippians 3 verse 8 he says indeed i count Everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And maybe in this is a key for us to say, well, whatever else I am counting worthy to keep me from being with God, maybe I'm making making a miscalculation because it's not that worthy it's not that worthy and every time when you have time in the presence of God and when you did encounter his word in a beautiful way or saw him in worship or experienced his power in Prayer, you would answer the same and say, oh, there is no better place than in your presence. We know this in our spirits. We have to contend for this in our hearts. Jesus actually said that only one thing is necessary. It might seem like it's um, 
for someone like me, I like action. I like doing stuff. I like executing stuff. This might seem rather passive. This might seem like, okay, cool. So the Christian faith is about not doing anything, right? (laughs) Well, if we would come to him as we preached last year, we'd have the only shot at seeing him. And the only way that we know what we should be doing is as Jesus saw the Father and whatever he did, he said, I do as I see the Father doing, we would be able to now do as we see him doing. And then do it with him because we know that he's busy doing it. That's our only shot at actually knowing what to do and knowing how to do it. Whether it's work, whether it's, whether it's kids, whether it's ministry, It's the one thing that's necessary pre-salvation. It would be the best thing for someone pre-salvation to go and press into this Jesus and say, Hey, hey, if you're real, can I be with you? That would be the best thing for someone pre-salvation to to do. For someone that wants to be saved, where do you go? To your Savior. That would be the best place to go is to the feet of Jesus. And for us who are already saved and washed by His blood and born again, and have a witness in our heart and for that. He's the Lord we love and follow. And the one we worship and obey. And there is no other way to start that journey. Than to sit at his feet. And to make sure that that is the number one thing that we do with our lives. Charles Spurgeon also said something like. If we should, fir- we should make sure to first be like Mary. We, sh- we should first sit with Mary before we start to work with Martha. Um, we will work. When we sit with him, we, we behold him. And scripture tells us then we become like him. So looking at it from any different angle, our ultimate aim to obey him. He says, well, if you want to obey me, come be with me. That's what I'm asking of you. If you want to become like him, that could be an ultimate aim. Well, he says, if you behold me, you become like me, so come and be with me. He says, if, if fulfilling the calling we have, that's the ultimate thing. He says, well, come and see what I'm doing and do it with me, and then you'll fulfill it. So all action, all transformation, all of life hinges on whether or not we're sitting at his feet. And that's why I believe Jesus said, This is the one thing that's necessary. If this really is the one thing that's necessary, I I think if this touches your heart, if Jesus is your Lord and you realize, well, okay, work and, and studies and social life and kids, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff. Um, I think moms have got the best excuse. But then, man, I see a lot of action on Facebook Marketplace and Instagram that I think shucks. I'm not sure if all these moms really do not have time. They really, I haven't yet found an excuse. There's this other story about this CEO that um, was part of a church that never had time for church. You'd always say, I don't have time for a small group. I'm so busy. I'm running this multinational organization. And then you got cancer and he just made it through. And he never missed small group again after that. Because all of a sudden he had time for things that was important. 
We always have time for the things that is the most important. That's a fact. Um, So I actually just want to ask us that if this rings true in your heart that we would really look at our calendars. If you don't have one, I would advise that you use one in today's world. But just look at your calendar and just ring fence time. Ring fence time in there that you know is, is the most practical and best time for you to meet with God. And following the principle of first fruits, I would advise that that time is your most productive and, and best time. So at 4 a.m. in the morning, I know, it's, I know it's noble, but I don't think it's the best. Okay, who's at their best at 4 a.m.? It's very noble, Martha, but it's not that productive. When is your most productive time? Give that to God. You know, God's, one of the reasons I would, I would do that is because we often use our most productive time to, to do work. And when we are not, when we've not been with Jesus in the most, in, in, in the best way that we could have been with him, and we start our work, um, we maybe have a problem to solve or a client to satisfy or whatever, and we run in the model and we take the steps and we do everything as needed and we try to figure out what the heck is going on. So often when I, when I come with this massive problem or this burden, just this foggy thing, I take it to God and I'm like, God, what to do? And he just drops in my heart and he says, that one email to that guy and CC that guy and write this. Done. Boom. Three hours worth of very intense co- cognitive activity. Unnecessary. Because I spend time with him. Okay? He's with you at work. So it's worthy, even with that example, to give him the best time of your day. Ring fence time for the word ring fence or ring fence means to, to guarantee that what is allocated for a particular purpose will not be spent on anything else. So don't put it in somewhere where you know this can easily be overrided by your boss asking for a meeting or your kids waking up or whatever. Like, don't sacrifice it and just say, ah, this time if it works out, ring fence that time and say, well, what if, what if this is the most important time? You know, there's meetings in our week that we don't miss for anything. I believe this should be the first one. And I'm not saying new things to you, but as I've journeyed, I've just seen that it always remains the contention, and I want us to just start anchoring in that basics before we run anywhere. What helps me is to actually live in a disciplined way to go to bed early, to wake up early. They say discipline is going to bed early and it's not waking up early. Anyone can set an alarm. But to go to bed early is, uh, is necessary. And that extra 45 minutes that you're spending on reading the news or Instagram or watching boxing highlights or whatever, um, it's not worth it. Um, create sustainable rhythms. 
So do something that you know can work. It doesn't have to be two hours every day in the middle of your day. Um, create something you know will work. If, you, if, if you're not into it right now, start small. Like don't set out an hour and a half because you'll fail. Set out five minutes and sit with God. Don't say I'm going to read from the Old Testament, New Testament, and Psalms. Um, and then I'm going to pray for this and this and this and this and this people. Oh, and then I'm going to worship for half an hour and pray in tongues and see if I can interpret it. I'm not there yet. <laughs> Far from it. Start small. Next thing, don't be rigid. Don't, don't set out this massive structure that you have to follow, and if you don't follow it, you feel terrible. If that's how you feel, then you should just like, stop altogether. Okay? <laughs> be with Jesus. He is the Word, yes, but He's with us as Emmanuel. His spirit is in us. We have communion with him, intimate communion, through his word, absolutely, through his body, absolutely, listening to his to preaching like this, absolutely. But that's sitting with him. Even be even actually even sitting with him, like physically sitting, might be helpful. And then to be accountable. Why to be accountable? If this is such a nice, soft thing, you know, it's not a hard rule we have to know. I, I, I don't like the whole being accountable for something because then it doesn't feel like I'm doing it with my heart, but I'm just, I'm just being kept to it. The issue is that you have to understand the difference between your spirit and your soul. Your spirit is saying, yes, God, I want this. Your soul is saying, hell no. <laughs> okay. And you are partnering with your spirit in saying, I will submit to what the spirit of God has placed in my spirit. And I will not submit to what is raging in my soul. And for that, we are accountable for good. Because that helps us to overcome the temptations of the soul. So as we close off, I want you to take a minute. Maybe, Matt, you can... um, just make some background music and then we'll close with a song. I asked Matt this morning, um, I said, yeah, I don't know if you know the song at all, but if you can play it off by heart with your eyes closed, would you mind um, closing with knowing you, Jesus, knowing you? Because um, I one thing you don't want to do is load extra songs on a worship team in the morning at 6.30. So I said, if you really know it, eyes closed, you can, but otherwise you don't have to. And then he said, I've been singing that song the whole holiday. So we'll be singing as a, a dear pants, and we'll be singing that, and we'll just bring our hearts before him. But I want you to take a couple of moments and work through these three questions. Maybe you take out your phone, look at your um, calendar, I got your notebook. I want to give us five minutes to work through this. And the, the first question is very, very important. Is do you actually believe this? Do you actually believe this? Do you disagree with it? Are you unsure if you're agreeing with it? Because Andrew 
Murray writes that God has made us logical beings as to the things we are really sure of to be true are things that we really do. So ask yourself if you really believe it, because then you would really maybe, maybe do it. Ask yourself, like, does your heart long for this? And often, I mean, I can, my heart very often do not long, does not long for this. I long to do things. Then I have to draw myself back and say, no, it, it is about knowing Him, even though the way I'm designed is more action-focused. It is about knowing Him. I know it to be true. And then I say, God, my heart does not long for it, but my heart longs to long for it. That's a nice trick. I've often said that, but that's a great, a great trick. I learned it when um, a pastor would always say, are you hungry for God? And I would stand at the back thinking, I'm not hungry for God. I'm upset or I'm, I don't know what, but I'm just not hungry for God. Like, why is everybody hungry for God? And then one day I got the revelation and I said, well, I am hungry to be hungry. I so want to be hungry. So I've got some hunger that God can satisfy. So either one of those two, I hope to be true for you. So take it to God, that hunger, because he satisfies it. And ask yourself maybe what is hindering you? What are those blocks that you're thinking, well, more urgent, more important, unfortunately, I can't because. Sleep, this, that. You know what, there can be things hindering you because oftentimes we sign up for more things than what we've seen the Father shown us. So we're busy with more things than what we should be busy with. So hand that over to God. Give Him your calendar right now and just work through that. And then the last one is, where would be the best places in your calendar to put your time with Him in? want to give us five minutes and all of us can just work on this a bit on our own and then we'll close with a song I'm going to read us a quote and then we're going to sing together bring our hearts before him a quote from mostly from Charles Spurgeon writing on this topic as well about sitting at the feet of Jesus it means peace for they who submit to Jesus find peace through his precious blood it means holiness for those who learn of Jesus learn no sin but are instructed in things lovely and of good repute it means strength For they that sit with Jesus and feed upon him are girded with his strength. The joy of the Lord is their strength. It means wisdom. For they that learn of the Son of God understand more than the ancients, because they keep his statutes. It means zeal. For the love of Christ fires hearts that live upon it. And they that are much with Jesus become like Jesus, so that the zeal of the Lord's house consumes them. People say we need revival. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. People say we need unity. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. 
People say we need to win the arguments. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. People say we need to reach the world. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. Let us stand and just respond in our own hearts as we sing to God.